Val, for sharing. Uh, exciting to uh, know what God is doing and uh, leading us to Cook and Connect and a whole lot of other ministries that are uh, coming up this fall. We have some awesome leaders, uh, and so we're excited about what God's going to be doing here at TCC uh, this fall. Would you pray with me? Father, just thank you. Um, thank you, first of all, for this word uh, that's been read for us. It's precious. Thank you for our ministries. Uh, thank you for uh, Cook and Connect and the opportunities uh, to serve single uh, women uh, this fall. I pray that it'll be a tremendous, tremendous outreach, that there'll be many lives that will be transformed and encouraged and blessed. Uh, provide for every need for them, I pray. Uh, and Lord, thank you for uh, the opportunity now just to uh, bless you and honor you. Pray that every word today would be a blessing to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you to come with me uh, to the passage uh, of Scripture that Janine read for us, Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. It's quite a passage of Scripture, isn't it? Uh, did it kind of set you a little on edge as you heard it read this morning? Uh, it it kind of reads like a gangster story. It's kind of this shady guy that's behaving in uh, questionable ways. And it's in the Bible. <laughs> what? Did you ever tell a negative story to your kids to say to them, oh no, I would never want you to behave that way? This is one of those lessons. Jesus is teaching by negative example. So I just want you to relax with it a little bit. Don't miss the teaching because it feels a little off the beaten path for a Jesus story. Uh, you know, you can learn a lot from everybody. You can learn a lot from different experiences of life. Mark and I have just been in Michigan to visit our daughter and son-in-law and uh, three grandchildren. But I always enjoy meeting with their pastor uh, when I go to Michigan. Uh, and just to see how their ministry is doing, we have so much in common because we've both been involved in church plants and they have just built a beautiful new facility. Uh, they are in their fourth Sunday this morning in Michigan and God has been so good to them. They applied for funding uh, to a private, a private foundation and uh, some wonderful gentleman, the president of this foundation uh, that has a real heart for church plants gave them Still sitting? A gift for $500,000. It blew their socks off. I mean, it doesn't hurt to apply, but you never would expect that you'd get that kind of a response. So part of my reason to visit the pastor was to get the name of that guy. <laughs> Not really. Well, I am getting the name of that guy, actually. Uh, I am going to get his name. But we learn from one another. How did you do that? How, what's your experience in this? What's working well for you? And we can learn from this parable. It's really kind of a strange story. And we can, you know, as I say, learn from just about anything and everybody. And uh, just so you know, let's define the target audience of this off-the-charts parable. Verse 14 a uh, verse that we didn't read, the Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard, heard all of this and scoffed at him. 
Notice it. The Pharisees who dearly loved their money. So it's a message pretty clearly directed at the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus knew that the Pharisees loved money. And he knew their arrogance and he knew their self-righteous behavior. Now let's go back and just start at the beginning. Luke chapter 16. This is the story of a wealthy guy who hires a professional that we might label a money manager. The money manager gets to manage someone else's hard-earned cash. Uh, how would you like to handle somebody else's money? I don't particularly think I would enjoy that job of handling somebody else's money. Hard enough to take care of my own. Uh, but especially when the markets drop, you know what financial advisors, they get all these phone calls. It's like, what's happening? Where have you got my investments? And why am I losing? And in time, the rumors started flying of some fraud in the ranks. And the announcement was made that the manager was in his final days. He's going to be fired. The wealthy owner wanted him to hand over all the books and write up a full accounting of all the losses. The implication here is that the money manager will have to deal with these losses. There are consequences coming, and maybe this thing's going to court. Verses 3 to 7, Steve's going to put it on the screen. Uh, but the manager is pretty quick on the draw. He assesses his options and knows that if the wealthy man looks at the books, he will see the waste and corruption. But at the moment, the boss doesn't really know how bad this is. He, he doesn't really know. He's not going to convince the boss uh, to be lenient. He's aware of that. He, he knows his boss. The storm is going to come. The impact of the storm is going to hit, and the, he boards up the place in light of the pending storm. That is, he devises a plan that would minimize the damage to the employer's account. And in the process of cooking up the books, he would also make some pretty good friends in the community because he was about to cut them a deal. And it never hurts to have some friends when you're out of a job. So, hey, whether you like it or not, this guy has some savvy. So he brought in the first client and he cut him a great deal. Must have had some special connection to this guy because he reduced his bill to by 50%. I mean, you don't get a deal like that even Bay Days. It's, it's amazing. And the next client, he knocked the bill down by 20%. And you can just picture him bringing in these clients one after another after another. And he takes a look, he assesses the situation and he cuts it by a certain percentage. So the unscrupulous manager applied the first rule of politics. Always be generous with other people's money. Did I say that? Always be generous with other people's money. Oh, and did you catch the detail? He had each client come in. They had a discussion. The manager sized up his clients, figured out what he could get out of them, and then had them alter the bill in his own handwriting. Pretty cool and calculating. This guy's no dummy. In verses 8 through 9, now please note, even the wealthy guy, and we don't know what kind of character he was, even the rich guy couldn't help but admire his manager. And it was brilliant. Uh, now it's important, I think, that we say up front that Jesus is not praising the guy's dishonesty. 
the manager guys, he's praising his shrewdness. So just hold on to that for a second. Now, some have suggested that the wealthy guy was not much different from the manager because he delighted in the manager's unscrupulous dealings. Maybe true? I don't know. But if you're just judging this whole thing from a world perspective or from a worldly perspective, I mean, it's pretty clever. What was the shrewd manager doing? He was trying to deal with the angst that was collecting in his own heart. I mean, he was feeling the stress. The heat's coming. And he saw the implications of his poor uh, money management. Thanks, Steve. When, when st stress and finances collide. So let me give you just a few ways to increase your stress level. Not that you want to. But here's how financial pressure develops in many scenarios. Now just a reminder of context. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. And they love money. He's talking to people who just really love money. So that's one of the reasons the story is there for us. And to remind us of the value of good money man management. Sometimes our financial angst could actually be prevented. And I think the Lord's trying to help us see that. I think the Lord's trying to help us see that. Some of this could be prevented. So three ways that stress is increased when uh, stress and finances collide. Number one, the waste factor. The waste factor. Financial angst comes when we waste the resources that have been given to us. Luke 16, 1 says that one day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. Interesting that Jesus uses the word wasted, or actually maybe a more tight translation is the word squandered. It's the same word that Jesus used uh, in the chapter before that story of Luke 15 of the prodigal son. And the younger son packs up all of his belongings and he moves to a distant land. And it says, there he wasted or he squandered all of his money in wild living. So it's easy to squander, especially if we have the sense that this is mine. Hey, this is mine. I worked for it. I can spend it. It's mine. If I hold the perspective, on the other hand, that this is actually God's money, well, it changes everything. Or if at the end of the day there is something left over for God, that's a perspective, you know, then I'm really happy to give it to God. If, you know, I doubt it, there will be much left over, but if there is something left over to God, God, you're welcome to have it. The waste factor. Uh, it has a lot of implications from squandering our resources uh, to making unwise decisions. Maybe it's the choice uh, between deluxe and standard. Uh, I want the deluxe. I don't want the standard. What features does that have? The, those are probably the features that I really need. And half the things we buy these days, we have, can't even figure them out. We use about a quarter of the, of the potential of that little gadget. The waste of our lives can increase our angst. Last year, a year ago, just a year ago now, when we went to Michigan to visit Jeremy and Angela, Jeremy, my son-in-law, forgot my rental car was parked in their yard. So uh, it's, you know, it doesn't usually have a car sitting there, 
So in the morning, he gets up. He's drinking coffee, and he's talking on the phone already, and he's backing out the garage, and he crashed right into the back of my car. Did a pretty good number on it. And uh, he felt really, really badly. He apologized a hundred times. And I simply said, it's fine, it's fine, it's insurance. That's why we have insurance. Well, this year it was my turn. (laughs) They just put in a beautiful new deck on their back with a special hardwood that came from Malaysia. And I was doing bacon on the barbecue. And the grease had accumulated in this flimsy tin foil. And when I went to move the tin foil, the grease came up over the tin foil, down the barbecue, and onto the beautiful deck. It stained some of the nice hardwood. I thought, oh no, what's going to happen here? I went and got some Dawn soap and some scrubbing rags. My daughter came out to help me. We scrubbed and we scrubbed and we scrubbed, and to no avail, it would not be touched. So I felt sick. I'm now the one apologizing a hundred times. It's going to take a sander to get this out. So I bought him a palm sander to get the stains out. I guess we're even now. We'll see what happens next year. Stress comes in all kinds of ways. And sometimes it's expensive because we have an accident. Sometimes it's just life. But it was unexpected. Maybe we have an unexpected bill. Maybe a dog that has to go to the vet and suddenly the stress index goes up. Some of it's not purposeful waste and sometimes it is. We live above our means. So the waste factor or the high cost of living factor and finances can be stressful. What do you talk about the most when you're stressed in your home? It's usually around finances. Secondly, the love factor increases financial angst. The Pharisees uh, loved their money. Now, as you know, there's nothing wrong with money. Uh, it's neutral. I mean, it's just a tool. It's, it's neutral. It's an amazing tool when used in the right way. It has, has all this capacity to do good. But isn't this a challenging thought in verse 13 of this same chapter? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one, and love the other, you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve uh, both God and money. I mean, you could put a little underline under the word serve. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't give your heart to God and love him and at the same time give your same heart to money and love it. So the emphasis on the word is on the word love. I mean, ever try to work for two bosses at the same time? It'll drive you crazy. This guy's saying this, this guy's saying this, and you're in the middle and you're, you're trying to take orders from both. You can't go two directions and have any peace in your life. Anybody who works for two bosses just has to always walk on pins and needles. The question is, is God going to be number one or is making a lot of money number one goal in my life? Now, if God blesses you with money, and he has blessed so many with so much, then you have to determine how well you can be trusted with that money. Will you love it and hoard it 
or squander it and say, hmm, actually, this is not mine. This is actually not mine. How can I use it to honor you, Lord? So the question of loving money is huge. Financial angst comes when you love money and you miss the big picture of God giving you a resource for kingdom purposes. That's really why you have it. Kingdom purposes. Thirdly, the trust factor increases financial angst. Some people start to actually trust their money. The manager thought to himself, now now what? The, my boss has fired me. What am I going to do? He's getting a little anxious. He's, he can't dig ditches. He's getting older, so he can't dig ditches. I'm about to lose my job. I mean, the world is always a little jittery about finances. Canada's trying very hard these days. You're watching the news to to make this free trade agreement work, this NAFTA agreement with Mexico and the United States. And and we really want desperately that that agreement stays in place because it's good for us and we hope it's good for the other two countries as well. But we have to think, what if it doesn't? Then what? If you put all your marbles in the security of money, you may wake up one day to the fact that all your money is gone. The money is devalued. Like back in Germany in the days when they, when they put all this money into wheelbarrows and wheeled it around because it wasn't worth anything. The money had just completely lost its value. The world system has changed. And you say with this guy, ah, wow, my financial kingdom has crumbled. Now what? Likewise, if you put your security in your appearance, you will one day wake up to say, I'm not as strong as I used to be. I'm not as attractive as I used to be. Uh, Where did those wrinkles come from? If you put your security in anything other than God, that security can shift dramatically. And anything other than security in God will never satisfy. You might think you you can trust uh, something else, but then one day you realize, you wake up and say, hey, that's not trustworthy either. I'm on shaky ground. But you can always be secure in the love of God. Isn't that a great thought? You're always secure when you're embraced by the love of God. The Lord underlined a verse for me this week. Just love it when he does that. And it's out of James. It's out of the first chapter of James. And it's that verse where it says that God never changes or casts a shifting shadow. That he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And then it said, I'd never noticed this before. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. James 1.18. We are the prized possession of God. He loves us. He cares for us. He's always going to watch over us. Your self-worth has no connection to your net worth. Your self-worth, your identity as a follower of Jesus is always firm and secure because of who God is. As we sang it this morning, he never changes. His love never changes. His love for you is constant. The same yesterday, today, and forever. So here are ways in which we can increase our financial angst. Again, not that we want to. The waste factor, the love factor, the trust factor. Wasting money, loving money, and putting our trust in money. 
But I think what we're most interested in is how can we lower our stress level. So here are a few ways to decrease our angst. Number one, settle the ownership issue. Settle the ownership issue. The parable is quite clear from the very beginning that the rich owner hired a manager. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. Uh, Maybe it's a good reminder uh, for me, maybe it's a good reminder for you that it all belongs to God. There's a certain rich man, he hired somebody. God, God is the one that's in charge, he's sovereign over the world, and he has given us the challenge to manage his resources. God just loans it out uh, for the time that he gives you on this planet. It was loaned out before you got here, and uh, it's loaned out during the time that you are here, and, it's, and after you die, someone else is going to manage it. So you've just got a little short period of time to manage it. You get to use it while you're alive, but you can't keep it. You've got to hand it in. There will come a day when you have to hand it in. It has a time limit. And if you can just see what you have on loan, it, it just automatically begins to decrease our anxiety level because it's God's. And I'm not trying to get more and more and more. What I have is God's. If he blesses me with more, it's God's. Uh, it doesn't really matter how much you end up with. It really doesn't matter. Because it's just a loner all the way. In the end, you have to turn it in. So just enjoy what you have, but you have, to, you have to turn it in. So when you go out into the parking lot after service, give the tires on your car a little kick. Nice vehicle. God, you've got a great vehicle here. It's yours, God. And when you get home, touch a wall. Not too many fingerprints, but just touch a wall. And, and see where you live and say, love your house, God. I love what you've given to us, but it's yours. And when you go to sleep, just say, I love sleeping on your bed, God. You sure gave me a comfortable one, but it's yours. And all these things, these things, and your family, and your bank account, and your health, they all belong to God. They all belong to God. Take some worry out of your life Acknowledge who really owns it all. It'll make a difference. And when your car breaks down, as it will, you can just ask what you should do about it. It's your car, God. It's your car. You know it's your car. Uh, Will you provide? And and he'll probably say to you, my son, my daughter, uh, we can figure this out. He'll bless you. He'll take care of you. So we're just caretakers of God's resources. We are the stewards. Oh, and it means all your resources, not just your money. What about your body? What about the food you eat? What about your mind and your emotions and your relationships and all those gifts and talents that he gave you? Whatever God has given me as gifts to serve him, I must take that seriously. I can no longer just say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to use them for anything but me. No, I must live under the direction of the owner of my life. Wow, friends, that will lower the angst a a, a number of notches. Secondly, understand that God is issuing you an exam when you earn money. What do you mean? Well, God is testing you 
with the handling of money. Every Sunday morning after the worship team has practiced, we do a little mic check. Mic check, one, two, three, four, to see that it's working. And God gives us a little check. One, two, three, four, Ken, how are you doing? Testing, one, two. He wants to know if he can trust us because he has far bigger stuff than money to give us. He wants to know if he can trust us with spiritual power and authority. But one of the prime ways that he trusts us is in the area of our finances. And he's always asking the trust question of trustworthiness. Can I trust this person with my finances? I love what Randy Elkhorn writes. He said, when you're on, an, on a long airplane flight, you naturally talk to people, socialize, eat, whatever, sleep, talk about where you're going. But what would you think if a passenger by the window seat started hanging curtains over the window, taped photographs to the seat in front, painted murals, and put up wall hangings? Hey, you would say, what are you doing that for? This is not that long a trip. Once you get to the destination, you, mean, you, won't, you don't need those. Even a long plane flight is short compared to the span of your life. I mean, you can think of your life in terms of a dot and a horizontal line. Our present life is like a dot. It begins, it ends, it's just a dot. It's so brief. However, from the dot extends a line that goes on forever. And that line is eternity where we'll be with the Lord forever. And so the dot is a test for eternity. How will you live out the dot it's not about dedicating everything we have to ourselves for the short time we have, but God gives us a test to see how we will spend the resources that he's given to us. All of the resources, this broad expanse of resources. Matthew 6, uh, Jesus says, don't pile up treasures here on earth. Don't hoard it. Instead, store your treasures in heaven, for wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. A long time ago, I, I, I thought I would make an investment in the market. I'd never really done that before, so uh, I was a little nervous. And once I made the investment, I checked the paper every day to see how it was doing. I was very nervous to lose it. So I remember having it in there for a week, and I got the jitters, and I took half of it out which cost me some money to take it out. I didn't want to lose it. That's a sign of a nervous investor. But where you place your treasure, there you will find your heart. How would you like to be the son of uh, Bill and Melinda Gates? What if uh, Bill and Melinda came to their children and said, one day you're going to have everything I've got. You're going to inherit it all. But I'm not going to give it to you right now. In fact, I'm, I'm going to just give you a little bit right now, just a tiny bit, and I'm going to see how well you handle it. If you manage it well, we're going to give it all to you. Wow. Perhaps the point that Jesus is making is exactly that. Look at verse 10. If you are faithful in little things, You'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibility. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And then thirdly, making good decisions with money. 
Jesus says in verse 9, here's the lesson. Use your world of resources to benefit others and to make friends. The shrewd manager got a few things right. Things we can learn from. He looked down the road and he evaluated his situation. He said, what am I going to do about my financial future? A wise person looks down the road and says, what am I going to do about my future? Some good planning. If you start a retirement savings plan when you're 25, rather than when you're 40, the difference in that is huge. If you don't start saving until 60 years old, you can't go back and compensate for the last 30, 40 years. There's some planning that is needed. How, why does God want us to look ahead? Well, he wants us to honor him with our money. If we don't look ahead, we, we can't honor him. He wants us to save some money, and then he wants us to, to, to pay our bills, of course. Some people have called it the 10-10-80 formula. I like that. It applies at certain, at certain seasons in life. 10-10-80. 10% to God, right off the top. Just don't even think about it. Just it's God's. 10% to savings, and the rest to pay our bills. Now, some have been blessed and, and uh, they see the blessing of God. They look at their earnings and they give much more than 10% because they can. Rick Warren, with, without him boasting, it just says, here's what my heart is. And because the Lord has blessed him, he gives 90% of his, of his income. And, and that's a lot because of all of his royalties. Because the Lord can trust him and he can trust the Lord. Uh, some people don't need 80% to live on anymore. And, and they're all about investing in the kingdom. The shrewd manager also acted quickly. He got things in order. There are things for us to get in order. We need to be sure, first of all, that we have our will in order. That's one thing that we seem to procrastinate on. Ensure if you're a parent that the care of your children is in order if, if you or your partner uh, were taken. Do you have a plan? Jesus said, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home or heaven. What a scripture. The shrewd manager made friends to take care of himself after he lost his job. But Jesus just turns that around. He said, we can invest our money in building relationships for the kingdom and it will make a difference in people's lives forever. Some of you have been doing that all your lives. And I just say, wow, what an example, what an inspiration that is. You've been using your money in building relationships for the kingdom, and it will forever make a difference in people's lives. Some of you have been doing that and, and blessing others, and you've seen a need and you responded to it. You've seen needs in refugees from other countries, and you said, hey, we'll, we'll help bring them in and we'll help settle them. You've, you've, you've built a church here in the middle of this community, and you have no idea of the impact and the ripples that are going out. But because you were generous, because you were a blessing, uh, the, the influence of the gospel is going out today. Next week you will meet Paul and Tanya Garricky. Uh We invest in them. They serve in Romania. They're a couple of young married, uh, a, a young couple that have great hearts for God. They're just, they're just going to bless you. Just imagine one day arriving in heaven to the cheers of people who are already there because of your investment. 
They will say, we're here because you spent some money to tell us the good news of God's love. Yes, money is neutral. It's neither good nor bad, but we can use it for investment in the kingdom. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, we are grateful. We're grateful for this uh, uh, awesome passage, unique passage. And may we be faithful, Father, as your followers, to be faithful stewards of all that you have given to us. We love you, Lord. We thank you that we're secure in you. We thank you that you uh, you, you have the best for every one of us. You know every need. You know when we stumble and fall. You know when we go through hard times. When you, you know when the prevailing winds come against us and, and impact us. Uh, but Lord, we're always safe in you. So Lord, just to say again to you, you have it all. You have it all. We love you in Jesus' name.